And so we want you to be a part of it. It's going to be a great time. Like I said, we're going to honor you. We're going to share vision with you. And uh, I realize that the lighthouse is where it is because of you and the work that you do in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize, Brother Mike, in advance because I'm going to uh, read from a myriad of different uh, versions. So uh, whatever you put up, I may not read it word for word, but I, I just, I'm going to jump around a little bit in this sermon. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, if you have your Bibles, i like you to turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. And uh, I, I just want to kind of start by telling you that you and I have a great debt that we need to pay. And then I want to go from that. I don't know what I'm going to entitle it, Brother uh, uh, Harpole. I don't really know my title, but I do know I want to talk about we have a great debt to pay. And then I want to talk about how to repay that debt. And then I want to tell you what God does when we repay that debt. And so the Bible says, and it's Paul's words recorded in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Inasmuch as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If I could pull from the New Living Translation, it opens that portion of Scripture this way. For I have a great sense of obligation to the people in our culture and to the people in other cultures, to the educated and uneducated alike. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and to the Gentiles. Could you just kind of put your finger in your Bible or, or, or close your Bible and just help me pray that the Word of God would find a place in your life. Lord, we love you today. God, we're here in your presence once again on a Wednesday night. We've worshipped you, and I believe that you are here. And I pray that now we would be very sensitive and receptive to the Word of God. Lord, that once again, as we open the Bible, let the pages come to life. Let them speak to our heart, our mind, and our soul. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. A debt, it's, a, it's something that is owed. It's an obligation. It's to be in someone's debt is not just to say that you owe them something, but it means that you, you, you're in the, you know, you, you owe someone. It's a state, if you will, a state of owing. I'm sure all of us here owe something somewhere. Uh, it's, it's very rare that you can find someone that doesn't owe something to anyone. Maybe it's just your house note. Maybe it's a car note. Perhaps it's credit card companies or go on and on to where it is. I, I remember helping something. Well, I didn't help them. I was just the vehicle that, that drove them. But someone needed to go do a payday loan. Let me give you just a, a real quick pastoral tip. Don't go do payday loans. Um, they, they went and needed the money, and what it is is they borrow on your next paycheck. Chances are if you don't have it on this paycheck, you're probably not going to have it on next week's paycheck either. But this person went there, and uh, they accidentally left their loan paperwork in my car. I didn't know what it was when I looked at it. The percentage rate on that payday loan was 214%. 214%. Um, that's quite a state of owing. For those of you that say, well, what does that mean? Well, 
the average car loan may be somewhere in the vicinity of anywhere from 0% to maybe 7% if you have bad credit. A house loan may be 3, 4, 5, 6%. So when I say 200 and uh, what did I say, 214%, I believe. Yeah, they, that's a bad percentage. It's bad to be in debt to someone. But the debt that I speak of tonight is not the debt of monetary means in, 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 you know, to the car dealership or the credit company. But it's the debt first to God. And the second, this debt to the world that you and I live in. I can't give you a four-year uh, debt reconciliation plan when it comes to what you owe to the Lord and to this world. I don't think there's really a way that we will ever be able to repay the debt to Him and the debt even to this world. It's a debt that as long as you live for God, you will carry that note, if you will, in your pocket. It's the debt. In fact, it's Psalms 116 and 12 where the psalmist asked a simple question. He says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? If I could, again, I I'm said I'm going to jump from various translations. Another translation says, what can I offer the Lord for all that He's done for me? Anybody here, God's done some good things in your life? Anybody here, whether you, I mean, all of us, we were saved out of sin. Some of us, it seems, if you will, our sin was deeper than others, and that's not entirely true, but just on the, on the outside looking in, we could say that God's done a lot for us, and the question is, how can I ever repay the Lord? I can worship, and I think we ought to worship. But David was a prolific worshiper. You mentioned that, Brother Hera, in your opening comments. A prolific worshiper. He wrote just incredible poetry and psalms. And, and even then, he never scratched the surface of, of repaying God back. What can I offer the Lord for all that he has done for me? I believe worship is part of it. Our giving is part of it. Living for God is part of it. But I would like to tell you today that one way you can... Uh, uh, repay him at least a little bit what he's done for you is to as, as he would have said to Peter feed my sheep it's Luke chapter 10 and verse 30 when Jesus gives that parable of the good Samaritan you know what a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho passing thieves come strip him of his raiment wound him depart leaving him half dead and by chance there came a certain priest that way and when he saw him he passed on the other side and then a Levite came and he looked at him and then he passed on the other side and then a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was had compassion on him went down bound up his wounds put medicine in those wounds put him on his own beast brought him to an inn took care of him when he got done he said to the host of the inn he said take care of him and, and, and whatever you need I'll pay just keep a running tab and when I come again I'll repay you and the question that Jesus asked the crowd is which one of these was the neighbor unto the one that had fallen it's a rhetorical question because nobody in their right mind would say any other answer save the Samaritan and he said, then it's the one that showed mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. I believe one of the ways that you and I can repay the Lord is to go and do thou likewise. It's the, some of the last words that Jesus spoke to, to Simon Peter after he appeared. It was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And 
they're eating breakfast and while they're eating and they're just kind of sitting there he looks at Simon Peter and he says Simon do you love me more than the rest of these disciples Jesus knew how to get Simon's goat Simon would have oh absolutely I love you more than John I love you more than Nathaniel I love you more than any of them then feed my lambs he asked the question Simon do you love me Yes, I love you. Absolutely, I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Then he asked once again, Simon, do you love me? Peter is grieved. And to be honest, I just kind of wonder if there's a correlation between these three questions, do you love me, and the three denials of Peter before Calvary, if it was Jesus kind of twisting that. And, and, and maybe Simon was thinking back to how he had denied Jesus and, and how he had said, I don't know you, and, and, and I, I don't even know this this. Nazarite, I don't know any of that, but so, so perhaps Peter is trying to go back to that, oh I love you Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, I'll never deny you again, but the answer is simple, if you love me, feed my sheep. There's something about Jesus that looks at you and I, and while he desires the worship, and he desires the praise, and he desires that dedication and devotion, he still desires something even far greater than you and I and that is that we go and do thou likewise and we feed his sheep it's John in his first in his first epistle first John chapter 3 verse 14 says if we love our Christian brothers and sisters it proves that we have passed from death to eternal life but a person who has no love is still dead anyone who hates another Christian is a murderer at heart and you know murderers don't have eternal life with him this is the New Living Translation but we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us so we ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters if anyone has enough money to live well sees a brother or sister in need refuses to help how can God's love be in that person dear, love, dear children let us stop saying we love each other and let us really show it by our actions for it is by our actions that we know we are living in the truth so we will be confident when we stand before the Lord. There seems to be an understanding that God desires action from you and I. He looks down he says, you want to repay me? Oh, thank you for your worship. What have you done for someone else? There's a curse that this generation has, the curse of satisfaction. We're at ease in our blessing. We can lose the hunger because our needs have been met. We can lose the, the, the if you've been serving God for any length of time, it, it tends, time tends to dull that zeal you had when you first were saved. You see a new convert come and, man, they get the Holy Ghost, they get baptized, and they, they, they are vividly reminded of the pit that God drug them out of, and they're telling everybody and their mother's uncle about what God has done. But give us Christians a little bit of time, and we tend to just get a little at ease in our life. It's the same rebuke, if you will, that Paul gave the Corinthian church. He told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, and again, I'm reading New Living Translations. He says, what do you have, or, or what makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? If all you have is from God, why do you boast as though you've accomplished something of your own? He says, everything you have came from God. 
it, it's amazing when I begin to look, and, and I've, I've told y'all, and I'm not tooting my own horn, I'm just telling you how I work. I told you that I do my best to read the book of Acts every month. Read about a chapter a day, and there's 29 or 28 chapters in Acts, and so uh, you pretty much read it every month. And so what that means is I read Acts quite a bit probably more than any other book of the Bible. And I do so on purpose because Acts is the church. It's the history of the church. And I figured if they got it right, because there's this little phrase in the book of Acts that just blows my mind. It says, and they turned their world upside down. And so I asked myself, am I turning my world upside down? Is the lighthouse turning its world upside down? And so... I begin to look in the book of Acts. In fact, today I finish the last chapter. So tomorrow when I wake up, I'll go back to Acts chapter 1 and I will read it again. And what I find so intriguing in the book of Acts is that the book of Acts and the church, which the history is, is recorded, the church did not grow simply because God did this or did that. The church grew. Because there was people who looked at their world and said, I owe a great debt to this world. Those 120 that came out of that upper room filled with the Holy Ghost, they didn't just sit back and say, well, I made it, let's go to church. They got something inside of them that said, I owe a debt to this world. God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for delivering me. God, thank you for moving in my life. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for all of that. But what can I do? I'm going to have to jump outside of the book of Acts for my first point here because I would take you to the book of John chapter 1 and, and you find that John is there and two of his disciples and they're looking on Jesus as he walks by this is uh, John the Baptist and two of his disciples and as Jesus walks by John the Baptist said behold that's the Lamb of God and when he said that the Bible says the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Got to think for just a moment. Imagine if you were the best in your field, whatever that field is. You were the best in your field. You, you were the best uh, uh, car mechanic in the whole world. And you had worked on cars, and I mean, everybody sung your praises, and you had done it all, and then... One day you've got a, a, you know, a waiting room full of people that want their cars worked on and somebody walks by and just casually you say, you know, that's a good mechanic right there. In fact, he might even be better than me. And everybody leaves your waiting room and goes to that mechanic. That's what happened to John the Baptist. But the, John the Baptist realized that it wasn't about him. He had been doing this for that one moment uh, his whole life where he could point his own disciples towards the Messiah. And when he pointed to them, his two disciples turned and they followed Jesus. One of them that heard John speak, his name was Andrew. He had a brother by the name of Simon Peter. And verse 41 of John 1, tells it perfectly he says and he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him we have found the Messiah we found the Christ and Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and that's where Jesus said oh you, you know you're Simon son of Jonah but you'll be, you'll be called Peter and then the following day he goes and he finds Philip and he says Philip follow me and Philip begins his journey to following Christ 
But again, you got to look a few verses down. Philip says, or, or, or it is said of Philip in verse 45 of John chapter 1. Now Philip findeth Nathanael and saith to him, of whom we have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus the son of Nazareth. Both of those, uh, Andrew and Philip, both of those could have followed Jesus and they could have walked with Jesus and done the miracles and seen the miracles. But there was something inside of them that said, if I've been afforded this chance, if I've been afforded the opportunity to, 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 to lay step with Jesus and go where he goes, before I take off on my journey, could I bring somebody with me? Andrew finds his brother. Philip finds Nathaniel. And I'm here today to tell you that that is the debt that we owe to our world, the debt that we owe to the Lord is will you bring somebody with you on your journey with Christ? We talk about Peter. We look at all of the things that Peter has done. They have sermon after sermon after sermon on Peter. He's the, 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 the kind of the patriarch or the beginning of the church of the living God. He's the one that preached the first message. But without an Andrew, there may have been no Peter. Without a, a, a Philip, there would never have been a Nathaniel. This world is in dire need of someone to tell them it's the Lydia that needs a Paul. Acts chapter 16 and verse 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down. This is Paul saying, we spoke unto the women that resorted thither. And there was a certain woman by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And she was baptized, her household, and she besought us, saying, If we have been faith, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house, abide there. And she constrained us, and without a Paul, Lydia and her household would not have been saved. Or, or Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 where the angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, same Philip that, that kind of started his ministry right. God called him, and the first thing he did was go find a Nathaniel. But it's that same Philip, and the Lord says, Philip's having a revival like nobody's business. Everything is, is going strong. Everything's happening. And, and God says to Philip, arise and go to the south. Go down from Jerusalem into Gaza, the desert. Philip says, okay. He arose. He went. There he found a man of Ethiopia. He was a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Had charge of all of her treasure. He, 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 he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He had a, a hunger for God. He had some knowledge of God. But he's sitting in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. He's reading a scroll. Perhaps he's reading it out loud. And the spirit says to Philip, go close. Join yourself to this chariot, Philip begins to run thither to him and hears him read the prophet Isaiah and he makes one simple remark. Do you understand what you read? The Ethiopian eunuch says, I, I, I can't. How, how could I understand it unless someone guides me or teaches me? And He said, tell you what, Philip, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Why don't you come and sit? And he reads them out of Isaiah, Lamb. Uh, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb dumb before his shear. He opened not his mouth. And, and all of that verse, and Philip reads it. And then Philip begins to expound it. And he begins at that same scripture. And he preaches to that Ethiopian eunuch 
Jesus. The result that happens is that Ethiopian eunuch saying, hey, something's moving in my heart. You just preached to me, Jesus. And the same response that happens uh, uh, when it comes to, to uh, even, even Acts chapter 2, they hear the word, they hear about Jesus, and then they say, what must we do? And Philip looks at that Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian says, hey, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? That Ethiopian needed a Philip someone that was sensitive to the voice of God and I believe it was Philip that at this stage in his life once again realized I owe a debt to God and I owe a debt to this world what can I do to repay it how can I give back it's the again if I could jump out of the book of Acts for a moment John chapter 4 and verse 28 the story of the woman at the well there in Samaria I've preached about it until you're probably sick of hearing me preach about it. But I'm always amazed that God spends some time talking to her. Says, I could give you water that you could drink of and never thirst again. And she says, I want to have more of it. Tell me more. She hears the voice of God. She hears the call of God. But there is something that compels her. And she goes back into the city. And by the time that story is done, in John chapter 4 and verse 28, by the time the story is done, the city is streaming out. Because she said, you got to come see a man that has told me everything about me. As I begin to look at those stories, as I see them play out, I realize there is something that each of those stories has in common, and that is each one of them had someone who said, I owe a debt to this world. I owe a debt to God, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. When you walk into our church, it's on the doors of our church. There's four words or four phrases. That the lighthouse is a place to be loved, a place to belong, a place to believe, and a place to become. It's the mission of this church, and 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 I, I haven't talked about it lately, but I've been reminded about it, and it's 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 honestly what, what I think about almost every day for these last couple of months. That beloved part. It's real simple. I just want people to experience the grace of God, the mercies of God. It has nothing to do with the service. It has nothing to do with the worship. It has nothing to do with the preaching, that one phrase. It just means when they leave, they say, you know what? Those people are pretty awesome. It's the experience that sets us apart, and I can't tell you how many times someone has left something that the lighthouse has done, and, and they've said, man, that was just top-notch. I, I really felt love. Thanks for, you know, talking to me. And, and they walk away and they experience something. But it's that second word that I'm, I'm connecting to, and that's the word that it is. It's the belong part. And if you need another word, it's connect. Connect. It's what our, our Fall Fest team talked about uh, yesterday, last night, and it was really cool how they did it. I wish we'd have recorded it. Um, Sister Charla Harding, I think, said that uh, comes fifty-six. It takes fifty-six seconds to have a meaningful conversation. I believe it was Brother Jonathan Hera that said the first five seconds, however, of that fifty-six second conversation are probably the most awkward. And and I'll tell you, y'all. I, I know y'all were talking about how we have conversations around the the different games and you know when you're sitting around a bonfire or maybe you're, you're sitting at the table eating and how you have those conversations but what y'all said 56 seconds for a meaningful conversation the first five seconds are the most awkward I begin to think about that how 
how awkward it must have been for a dude to run up in the desert to a guy reading in a chariot. Say, hey, you know what you're reading? If it happened here in St. Louis, he'd have been shot. You looked at me funny. But hey, do you do you understand what you're reading? I'm sure for a moment that was a pretty awkward conversation. But you get past those first five seconds, Brother Jonathan. You get to the place where he says, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. Sure wish I had someone that understood the book of Isaiah wasn't a coincidence that it was Isaiah it wasn't coincidence that he was reading that of all the books and all the scrolls and all the things that that Ethiopian eunuch could have been reading he was reading something that Philip would have had an intimate knowledge with and he said hey could I help you out I know what that's about I've experienced what that's about and I'd like to tell you a little bit about it and that conversation began to unfold and what started perhaps as an awkward conversation ended with someone being baptized but it was Philip that said in my heart I owe a great debt to this world. Jumping back to the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles, I know I preached in this a lot, but I just want to hit it one more time. Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we're reminded of a story, and I feel like there is a pattern, a repeatable pattern, that we can look at the book of of Acts 10 and we can look at our lives and we can look at today and we can look at Fall Fest and we can look at all of the things and there is a repeatable pattern and it is that in Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius he was a centurion soldier he was known as the Italian cohort the Bible says that he was a devout man that feared God he he, he gave alms, he prayed and uh, you, you know, so there was a religious hunger in Cornelius he was praying one day. It was about 3 p.m. The Bible says the ninth hour. That's about 3 p.m. He was praying and saw very clearly an angel of the Lord say to him, Cornelius. Cornelius, I don't think he'd ever had this before. The Bible says he stared at him in terror. What is it? He said, you know, I've heard your prayer. I've heard, seen the alms. I've seen your devotion. I want you to send men to Joppa and bring somebody by the name of Simon who's called Peter. Bring him. And while that's going on, he, he, he gets men to leave uh, uh, Caesarea, and they go to Joppa. The next day, while they're on their journey, they're approaching the city. It's about noon that time, and Peter goes to the rooftop, and he begins to pray. While he's praying, again, this is my own imagination. You can take it or leave it. Y'all can say he was super spiritual. But I have a feeling he was praying a little bit like I'm praying. He was praying and kind of enjoying the sea breeze as it blew across the roof. Somebody's cooking food. It's lunchtime and he's smelling it. His mind starts jumping around. But while he's there, the Lord speaks to him. He sees a vision. The heavens open. It's a great sheet being let down. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles. And according to the Jewish ceremonial law, every animal in that sheet was unclean. And the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, oh, oh no, no, I can't do that, Lord. I, these are unclean animals. You know, they're catfish and snake and, and ostrich. And 
I can't do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten anything common. I, I can't do that. And the voice comes a second time. What God's made clean, don't call common. The Bible says it happened three times. Peter had a connection with three. Three denials. Three feed my sheep. Three times the sheep comes down, rise, kill, and eat. Peter's perplexed as what that vision means. He has no idea. And about that time, while he's shaking the, 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 the spiritual cobwebs from his mind, and he's trying to figure out what does all this mean, the knock at the door. And the Spirit nudges Peter. Here it is, you watching? Peter, there's three men downstairs. He said, go with them, accompany them without hesitation. I've sent them. Peter goes down, meets those three. Peter gets some more of, of, of these disciples to go with him. And they go to Caesarea. They meet Cornelius, and he begins to preach to Cornelius Jesus. And while Peter yet speaks, the Holy Ghost falls. Those of the circumcision, those disciples hear them speak with tongues, just like they spoke with tongues on the day of Pentecost. And they've gotten the Holy Ghost what how can we forbid them water and so they baptize the household and the Lord began to speak to me and I'm applying this in a, in a very broad way but I'm also applying this for this Saturday our, our fall fest team has had a, a vision if you will a, a, a desire that they don't want this just to be another fun event and it's going to be great they are, they are praying and fasting and they've asked us to do the same for there to be a God moment somewhere on our property during that time. And as yesterday we prayed, then they were talking again, going back, 56 seconds for a good conversation, meaningful conversation. Five, first five seconds are the most, uh, 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 what's the word? Awkward, thank you. But the Lord began to speak to me and he said, you know, last night he said, y'all are preparing the volunteers. You're preparing the saints. You're preparing them what they're going to say and what they're going to do and how they're going to meet. And they even had some awesome role playing going on and some little skits that went on. And, but in the middle of all that, the Lord spoke and he reminded me, and that's the catalyst of this message. He said, Brandon, he said, I'm not just preparing Lighthouse Saints to have the right words. He said, I've been preparing a Cornelius three days ago. That's, that's already started his, his journey to come to the Lighthouse. And you're going to be sitting there scarfing down your hot dog, and the Lord's going to speak and say, go. You hear that knock, Brandon? see that one standing next to you you see the one there he said Brandon he said not only have I prepared you what to say but I've prepared them to receive remember remember uh, uh, Lydia Lydia and, and, and Paul what was Lydia doing she came to the river to pray Paul was there but Lydia came to pray what, what did what was the Ethiopian eunuch doing he was reading the word he was already prepared he wasn't just randomly sitting this was not a random occurrence it, I don't know how many chariots 
perhaps that, that Philip passed. I don't know how many caravans he passed, but he went to, he, he didn't just go to the first person he saw. He, God sent him to someone that the Lord had already prepared. Then here in, in Acts chapter 10, it wasn't just that Peter was prayed up. But it was that God was talking to a Cornelius as well. And I believe that you and I have this, this debt that we owe the Lord and we owe our, our community. But I'm here today to tell you it's not a very bad debt to repay. Because God is not asking you to go knock a hundred doors cold turkey. He's not asking you to go and stand on a street corner and, and, and get pelted with tomatoes while you try to talk about the Word of God. That's not what He's asking you to do. He says, would you just go? to the people that I've prepared would you just be sensitive enough to realize that when they when they talk to you it, it, it's not just random conversation he said I've three days ago I was preparing that conversation and as we've looked at these examples from John in the book of Acts I believe today we're going to see it not just as a a, a you know just, just some teaching that you can put in the back of your mind and say well it'll happen I'm going to tell you it's going to happen as soon as tomorrow when you go to work, as soon as tomorrow when you go to school, or even as soon as Saturday when we come to Fall Fest. There's going to be Cornelius is walking in. There's going to be Lydia's walking in. There's going to be some Simon Peters and some, some Nathaniels that will be sitting there just kind of waiting to see. There's, there's going to be an Ethiopian eunuch that happens to pass by. And I'm just wondering if there's any any Andrews here, if there's any Phillips here, if there's any Pauls that are here, if there's any Samaritan ladies at a well that are willing to go back to their city and say, I need you to be introduced to a man that's changed my life, if there's any Peters here. Because for everyone that God has prepared, He's prepared the other side of that equation as well. He's prepared you to speak to them to just smile and tell them a little bit about what how awesome God is. But he's been preparing their hearts to receive it. And when you put those two together, it's a perfect equation. I wonder if we could stand today.